Again, I hope that you have your Bibles with you. We're going to have the scriptures on the overhead, but I hope you'll turn uh, to John chapter 4 as we read about the Samaritan woman who came and met Jesus at the well. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we sing about your love, and we're so grateful that it's the truth that you love each and every one of us. And Lord, I pray first of all this morning that everyone sitting in this place would know that you love them so much that you gave yourself on the cross so that we might know eternal life and we might drink of the living waters through you. And Father, I pray for we who are Christians, Lord, that we would be humbled as we, as we sit here in your presence. Surely you have a word to speak to us today that would enable us to draw closer to you and to grow in our faith and walk with you. And we would be strengthened for the work that you have for us to do beyond the walls of this church, even this day. And Lord, I thank you, too, for those that are here that perhaps have not yet trusted Christ as their personal Savior. I thank you, Lord, that they've gathered here to hear more about you and to make a decision based, Lord, not on hearsay, but on what they can read for themselves in the very Word of God. I thank you that the Holy Spirit is here to speak to each one of us. And, Lord, I pray that this place and this time will always be a time in which you are lifted up. Father, humble me that I truly will be your spokesperson this day, this hour. And, Lord, I just pray that all of us would give these moments ahead to you. Truly, Satan would try and take us off of focusing on worshiping you and hearing your word. But, Lord, I just pray for just your power to come in and take control. And, Lord, that you'll speak to your people. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Follow again as we read this very beautiful story about the woman at the well. Now, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And again, I can't emphasize enough how important verse 4 is. And I want to say that in the King James Version. He must needs go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, Now, folks, verse 6, I think they're shocked, first of all, from this woman that Jesus would speak to her in a public place. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But I also think there's a little bit of sarcasm because just as the Jews hated the Samaritan people, the Samaritan people hated the Jews also. And so in a very sarcastic way, she says to him, How is it that you a Jew? Now, please notice, we talked about this last week, the progression of revelation, that first of all, she's going to recognize this man sitting at the well as a Jew. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is speaking to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? 
Are you greater than our father, Jacob? Now, here again, she's making a comparison. Not only is Jesus a Jew, and now she's saying, basically, who are you that you're coming out here asking me to do this? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us the well, drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. This you said truly. The woman said to him, now, here's another step in the progression of recognizing who Jesus is. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father and spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman says to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. When he comes, he will show us all things. Verse 26 is one of the most beautiful verses. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but none said, what do you wish or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the city and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the city and were coming to him. And then fast forward down some verses farther down. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Folks, last Sunday we pointed out how, well, let me read the last two verses. Many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of your words that we believe. We have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. As we have been studying now for a number of weeks, we've been talking about how the Bible gives examples of people to whom Christ gave second chances or God gave second chances. And again, we're, we're going to leave next Sunday. We'll get on the woman taken in adultery. But again, remember, Jesus gave the disciples and Peter a second chance. He gave Jonah the prophet a second chance. He's giving this woman a second chance at life to drink from the living water. And we're going to look at the woman caught in adultery, Saul of Tarsus, King David. And I hope in all this process, you're taking a good close look at your life. And I'm taking a good close look at my life, thinking about how God has given us a second chance. Last week, and I want to point this out, and we're going to take sail, okay? Last week, we pointed out that when Jewish people traveled north, there were three possible routes that they could take between Judea and Galilee. And again, this is probably too small for you to really see. But Judea on this map is down in the lower left. Jesus is going to go to Galilee, which is in the upper left. And between Judea and uh, Galilee, there is the region of Samaria. 
Now, Jews normally would not go through Samaria. They would take an alternate route. And look at these three routes. Number one, they would go west through the area of Perea, and then they would go around Samaria to get to Galilee. A second route was they would leave Judea, go by the seacoast, go around Samaria, and come into Galilee. And a third route, even if they had to take a route straight through Samaria, they would get out of Samaria as fast as possible. And folks, here's the point. Samaria was a place that a Jew would not go. But in John 4, 4, again in the King James Version, Jesus said, or John says, he must needs go through Samaria. So why does Jesus, unlike the average Jewish traveler, not only go through Samaria, but he stays there two days? And I think there are at least three reasons why Jesus did this. First of all, it was the Father's will for him. As you read the gospel story, something that I pray overcomes us is the fact that Jesus went to all. Jesus says in John 19 and Luke 19:10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, and Jesus was seeking and saving the lost in Samaria. Amen. I hope you're in this with me, and I hope I'm explaining this in a clear way. So it was the Father's will for Jesus. Secondly, there was a law-searching woman who needed a Savior. And guess where Jesus was going? He was going to where that law-searching woman was at. And thirdly, I believe for the disciples, this was Jesus' way to not only teach them the scope and extent of his ministry, but help them to know that their ministries would be to all nations. And you remember later on in the passage of Scripture, Jesus says that the fields are white unto harvest. Now, folks, with that in mind, I want to ask a very important question of all of us. Is there someone, some family, that God's Spirit is laying on your heart to visit, to witness to, to share your faith with? Tell me, not verbally, but but is there someone that God has put on your mind and your heart that you want to share the love of Christ with them? And probably the first thing that's going to hit you is fear. But secondly, the question might be, how will we know? How will we know that God is impressing on our heart to do something for him? Would Jesus must needs go through Samaria because God was impressing on his heart that that was his plan for him? And folks, the church of Jesus Christ needs to wake up and ask God once again, what is your plan for us? Where are you impressing on our hearts to go for you? And folks, there are a lot of biblical examples of how God dealt with people and showed them where he wanted them to go. And I want to give you an example that to me is so beautiful. It's found in Acts chapter 16. And I don't want you to think I'm getting away from the Samaritan woman. Folks, I want to tell you there's a lot of Samaritans in our world, lost and lonely people that we are being sent out to go to if we would obey the Father. And I believe that. I believe every single day you and I could make a difference if we were yielded over to the Father. And I'm not preaching that to you. I'm preaching that to me too. Folks, why are we still here? If God doesn't have any more for us to do, why didn't he just take us on to heaven? 
Why didn't he just graduate us? He has got something else for us to do. Why is he blessing and prospering this church? There's more for us to do. And when we lose sight of that, we lose the whole purpose in being the church and being a professing Christian. In Acts 16, and folks, this is such a beautiful story. Let me tell you what's going on. Paul is on his second missionary journey. And the Spirit of God has gotten a hold of Paul's heart and the other early believers that are working with him and has thought at this time there are at least three other men with Paul, at least three others. There's Paul, there's Silas, there's Timothy, the young man, and there's Luke, the gospel writer of the Gospel of Luke and also the writer of the book of, of, of Acts. But folks, listen to this. Paul is struggling with where he should go next. And, and these scriptures at first seem very amazing. Listen to this. And they went through the region of Pergia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Listen to this. The Holy Spirit of God told Paul, do not go into Asia and speak my word. And listen to verse 7. When they had come opposite Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Is suddenly God wanting them to be quiet? Absolutely not. Does God no longer have a mission for them? Absolutely not. Listen to what happens. So passing by Amasia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing, beseeching him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Folks, do you and I understand what's going on? And I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to insult your intelligence. Folks, they were seeking the will of God. But let me tell you what happened beginning in Acts chapter 16, verse 11. And I'll try and go through this quickly. And folks, I want to point something out. First of all, they were in the will of God. And the scriptures demonstrate that when we are in the will of God, a harvest of souls would be brought into the kingdom of God. Would you agree with that? When we're in his will, God is able to do something through us. Well, when Paul got down to the city of Philippi in Macedonia, and and again, I'm just going to fast forward through this. A, A woman, Lydia, is saved in her entire household. Folks, we don't know if that's where the church of Philippi began, but possibly a house church began in her home. We're also told that while Paul was there, there was a slave girl who had a demonic spirit, and Paul got annoyed by that slave girl having a demonic spirit and being used by her masters to gain money. And so he exercised the demonic spirit out of this slave girl. Well, that caused an uproar in the city. And Paul and Silas are almost killed by a mob that springs up. And guess what? They got put into prison, not only into a holding cell, but they got put into the innermost part of the prison. You're beginning to pick up on this story, aren't you? And guess what? At midnight, around midnight, they were singing and praising God, and God caused an earthquake, and the doors were open. And not only Paul and Silas, but Luke says everybody's fetters were unfastened. And the jailer that we call the Philippian jailer, 
ran into where Paul was at, expecting the prisoners to be gone. He was going to kill himself, commit suicide, until Paul said, none of us have left. Everything is okay. Don't harm yourself. And at that point, the man said, what can I do to be saved? And you remember what Paul said? Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Folks, listen. Because Paul and the others were obedient a harvest of souls began to be brought into the kingdom of God and a church began to grow and flourish in a very evil city. And you might be saying, well, listen, what in the world does that have to do with the, with the Samaritan woman? Folks, Jesus knew the Father's will for his ministry and that will included going through Samaria. No wonder Jesus spent so many nights alone in prayer not only communing with his heavenly father, but seeking the father's will. And folks, just as Jesus knew the father's will for his ministry, which included going through Samaria, Paul received God's guidance for his missionary journeys. And folks, we need to ask ourselves again this question, has God been at work in my heart and your heart and in the heart of this church impressing on us where and to whom we should go? And have we given faithful obedience to him? And the question to me is just ringing out of the passage of Scripture in John chapter 4. As the followers of Jesus Christ and as his church, where is the Samaria that God is leading us to? Where is that place that Jesus wants us to go so that we can bear witness of his love to others? Let's start with the young people. Young people, youth. Your Samaria might be the school that you attend. How about the rest of us? There's a lot of Samarias. How about our workplace? The people at work know that we're Christians. You know, something that always concerns me, people know that I'm a preacher, but do they know that first and foremost, I'm born again through the blood of Jesus Christ? And that's what I want people to know about me. Do they know in our neighborhood, that we're Christians. Maybe it's our neighborhood that we could minister to. You don't have to take your Bible and hit somebody over the top of the head. You know that's exaggerating. You don't have to stand on their doorsteps and preach to them, but by the way that we live, by the way that we treat them, by the way that we love them. I don't want to get too personal here, but there's a there's a man that sits on the porch all the time and I'll, when I go by, I always wave at him. He is yet to wave at me. And I've been talk, I'm talking about for years. I don't know what he's heard about me. But I'm hoping one day, and you might be saying, well, won't you stop at his house and talk to him? When he waves at me, I'm going to do it, all right? <laughs> but, folks, I'm simply saying, even in our neighborhood, and, you know, y'all know how much I love to go to the stores. You know, as Christians... And the people that don't go to church, strangely enough, they know who does go to church. Amen? Amen. And if you come to this church, they know it. And when we get to the store, wherever that might be, they're expecting our lives to be different. And folks, what a great place to be able to witness to the love of Jesus Christ. Folks, that's a challenge. I mean, it truly is. Folks, our... Our Samaria might be Walmart, and I, I wanted to list down the people in the church that run. It might be Walmart, Dollar Tree, Ronnie's Appliance. Tell Ronnie that I mentioned his business, okay? But here's the point, y'all. Where is the Samaria that God is leading us to? And, folks, 
here's something else from this passage of Scripture. As Christians and as a church, do we need a second chance and a third chance to do the Father's work? Is there someone, some family that God has already impressed on our heart and we've not done it yet? Well, here's the good news. God's going to give us another chance. And folks, would we make it a priority this week to go to those places that the Father's leading us to? Now, it scares me, to be honest with you, to stand in the pulpit and say stuff like this because God's going to tell me this week, practice what you preach. Folks, we need to make going to others that God has laid on our heart a priority, whether we understand it or not. And folks, whether the world understands it or not, remember that Jesus was told by others and told by Satan. You remember certain passages of Scripture that even his family does not understand what Jesus is doing. They think he's going mad. As Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, the crowd is saying, don't go, don't go, even some of his disciples. But folks, he knew that was the Father's will. So whether we understand what God is going to do or not, we need to go. We need to do. And whether we are successful outwardly or visibly or not. Folks, Paul says, and he's talking about stewardship, but he says, the farmer who sows the greatest amount of seed will bring in the greatest harvest. And his principle is this. You won't bring in a harvest if you don't sow seeds. How can we expect the kingdom of God to grow in this community if we as God's people are not sowing the seeds of the gospel? And again, folks, please hear me preaching this not from this high and lofty pulpit to you, but to myself, okay? But let me show you some of the details of the story. And like I say, this is going to be last Sunday. We'll, I'll finish this up tonight at 6 o'clock, but there's a few more details I want to share with you, okay? In verse 6, John tells us that G- Jesus was wearied as he was with his journey. As a man, Jesus knew the effects of being weary and hungry and thirsty. Jesus experienced all the normal experiences of our lives, and Jesus can truly identify with each one of us. But let me show you something. Even as tired as he was and hungry and thirsty, his focus stayed on others. Amen? Whether it was here at the well in Samaria or while he hung on the cross. You remember what he prayed for? He didn't pray, Lord, help me to get through this pain and agony. He prayed, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. And listen to the time of day it was. And to me, this is very important. It was the sixth hour. There's a lot of discussion among Bible translators as to what time of day this was. The Amplified Bible, the Living Bible, the Good News Bible, the Phillips translations. And I want you to know I read all these just to make this point. They describe this time as noon. But some Bible scholars now believe that it might have been 6 o'clock in the evening. But I want to tell you, I believe that it is the middle of the day that this woman came to draw water. And folks, I mention all this because it was not the time of day that people gathered at the well to draw water. And here's some questions just to ponder about this, okay? Why is this woman at the well at noon in the heat of the day? Is she so despised by others, so looked down upon? 
Is she the talk of the town, the gossipers? I love the church sign. I don't guess it's been taken down since yesterday. Have you read it? It it says, spread the gospel, not the gossip. Amen. That's a whole other sermon, isn't it? Verse 18, she's had five husbands, and to put it in our day, she is shacking up with the man that she's living with at that time. And folks, I'm not trying to be sarcastic nor funny. Would this woman be the poster child of Sychar for failure and immorality? How many times has this woman been judged by others? Even though she mentions worship, do you and I think that she was welcomed in church or in the temple? And one of the questions I believe that the church of Jesus Christ needs to ask itself is, do we judge others now? Would we take an honest look at ourselves, even as Christians? Isn't it a great temptation and perhaps for many a great pleasure to judge others? Last Sunday, as I was closing and running out of time, I related this to the pictures that were in the Courier Times on September the 15th about the people who had been arrested. And I hope you know that that did enclose, uh, encompass several families in our church, and I hope that you have been praying for them. And I have, and I say that not to pat myself on the back, God is teaching me more and more, stop gossiping, stop judging, and get on your knees and start praying. And listen to what Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Listen to this. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. And listen to these last three, uh, three verses. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your eye, you hypocrite? Words of Jesus. You hypocrite, take the log first out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly the take the speck out of your brother's eye. Folks, here's what I'm building up to. Here is this woman, surely rejected by the people of Sychar, her town, and she is standing in the presence of the very Son of God. And what does Jesus do? He befriends her. He makes verbal contact with her at the point of a common physical need and says, give me a drink. This next verse on the overhead, John 3:17. we've read this verse many times, but I want you to hear this verse in the context of what we're looking at right now in this story. Listen to what John writes, John 3:17. For God sent the Son into the world, read the rest of the verse with me, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Look at what Jesus is doing. He is establishing the fact with this woman that every human being, whether they're Jew or Samaritan, had the same physical needs. But he is also teaching that every human being, whether they are a Jew or a Samaritan, have the same spiritual needs. And what is that need? To be born into the kingdom of God. Folks, I'll do this graft and then we'll close, okay? 
McKenzie, if you go up, have you ever thought about the contrast in chapter 3 of John and chapter 4? And, and let me give credit to whom credit is due. This comes out of the Bible knowledge commentary, okay? But have you ever thought about comparing the man Nicodemus and the woman at the well? And I'll just give you this quickly and we'll close, okay? First of all, Nicodemus was where? Jerusalem, Judah. The Samaritan woman, of course, is in Samaria. Nicodemus came by night. And the Samaritan woman either came at 6 p.m. in the evening or at noon. The occasion, Nicodemus planned the visit to go to Jesus. He wanted his pride stroked. And he thought that Jesus would compliment him about how important and what a great teacher he was. But Jesus said, you must be born again. The woman at the well, it is what might seem to her a by chance meeting But in God's divine schedule, Jesus was right on time, and he was right where he was supposed to be. The content of the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus is theological. Jesus goes right to the point, Nicodemus, you're lost. You must be born into the kingdom of God. Jesus begins teaching this woman some practical truths. We have physical needs. We have spiritual needs. The initiator of the conversation with Nicodemus, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he starts the conversation, but with the woman at the well, who starts the conversation? Jesus. There's so much more I want to tell you this morning. Jesus wants to start a conversation with you if you do not yet know him as Savior. And he'll come to that point in time right exactly where you are. And it doesn't make any difference who you are. He loves you and he wants you to know his salvation. He wants you to drink of the living waters. Nicodemus was a Jew. The woman, the Samaritan, was of mixed blood, as we've already talked about. The social status. Nicodemus was highly respected. He was a ruler. He was a teacher. The Samaritan woman was a despised woman. She was immoral. Nicodemus, of course, is a male. The woman is a female, obviously. But this is an important point that Jesus came to save all. The attitude, Nicodemus was polite, calling Jesus rabbi or teacher. The woman is first hostile toward Jesus, and then she begins to show him respect as she consents that Jesus loves her. And the result, folks, this is what is so important. What do we do with Jesus? Nicodemus walked, walked away. We don't know when it happened, but Nicodemus became a believer because at the end of the Gospel of John, you know that Nicodemus helps get the body of Jesus. He became a secret disciple. But what about that woman? That woman, that day at the well, her life was changed by the Son of God. She drank that day from the living water. And she went back to the town that so, I believe, despised her, and she began to share about the man she met at the well. And she said, can this be the Christ? And the people went out. They wanted to know for themselves. Folks, I can tell you all day long, if you're not a believer yet, about this Jesus and how he saved me and how he saved others. But until you get to that point in time where you seek him and you allow him to come into your heart, you'll not know these living waters. And I, again, I'm not preaching. I'm just sharing. It's time we get excited again about, about the Lord and about his work. 
and about what he wants to do in us. Folks, he's not finished with us yet. And yes, he can do those things that we don't think he can do. I, I, I'm go- I am going to close. I promise you, I'm going to tell you this story. You know, I, I don't know how you feel. I'm kind of, well, I reckon I'm kind of calm when it comes to, I don't want people to think I'm too much of a fanatic. I want them to know that I'm a believer. But, you know, there's some things we'll sit around and be quiet about, and there's some things we'll get fired up about, ain't it? Yesterday, when I got home, my favorite college football team was playing on national TV. And when I got there, they hadn't scored a touchdown, and I was getting kind of worried that they were going to get beat. And I'm not talking about North Carolina. I want you all to know that, all right? Um, But as I sat down, South Carolina scored a touchdown. And before I realized what I was doing, I'm going to walk away from my touchdown! And it hit me, if you can get excited about a ball game, you ought to get that excited about the Lord who died on the cross for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for the story of the Samaritan woman. I thank you, Father, that it is your will that all would be saved. That you came not to condemn, but to save. And, Lord, I pray, first of all, that if there are those here that have never trusted Christ as their Savior, I pray, Father, that, that they'll look to you and they'll let your Spirit explain to them who your Son really is, just like this woman learned, and that they would allow Jesus to come into their heart and be their Savior. And, Father, pray for us as Christians Lord, for many of us, we've been saved for many, many years. Lord, perhaps we've lost the excitement and even the vision that you have for our lives. And perhaps even many of us think, well, we're close to the end, and so it's probably not anything that you've got for us to do. Lord, help us to see that there is, that you've got a purpose for each day of our lives, and you've got ministry for us. And, Lord, I pray for our church. God, you have blessed us in many, many ways. But, Father, I pray that we'll not become proud and arrogant. I pray that we'll not judge and condemn, but we will love and we'll share. And I pray, Father, that you'll use us to touch the lives of many many more people. I pray that we will see our Samaria and that we'll not reject your leadership to go there and to share your son, but, Lord, that we would be found faithful. May your will be done in these moments of invitation. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.